Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so as Abraham is thinking, if I can get God to agree with me on this point, then I can move on to verse 24, which he doesn't. And he starts off with this peradventure. Let's suppose, see he's angling. I hate it when my wife does this to me. (laughs) She does this all the time. Oh, so you suppose that. My wife's like Abraham. So anyway, Abraham, he's heading toward trying to get God to spare the place. He uses this argument. He starts with the fifth. Let's suppose there are 50 righteous. Can I get God to agree with me on this point? So he put, throws this out to God, 50, okay. And then he's driving the point, and he repeats the question to God, as we see there. And he's starting with the general principle, you know, wilt thou destroy the righteous, the wicked? And then he narrows it down to this 50 supposition. And now he's going to go for this numbers argument. He's going to work God with the numbers. And he can imagine Abraham devising his argument of where he might have thought something like, let's say, let me see, can I say that the whole city is righteous and there's a few wicked? Now that won't work because, you know, this bad report has come to heaven. It's a wicked reputation. Okay, so he chooses the largest number you think he can come up with, maybe 50? And then he advances a little further. Now, we can't look at verse 23 without asking a very obvious question. Because in verse 23, we see for the first time in the Bible, two groups of people never seen, well, one we're really kind of shocked to see, read about, is this group of people called the righteous. The righteous and the wicked. So we have this group here, the group of the wicked. You know, Now, we don't have trouble understanding the group called the wicked because, you know, that describes every person. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's a general statement about the heart of man. Who can know it? So the real question is, who's this righteous? Who are the righteous that God is talking about here? Does Abraham consider himself righteous? I mean, remember Abraham, this is a man who lied. This is the man who got Sarah to lie, that she was his wife. So can a liar be a righteous person? I mean, remember, Abraham, this is the man who has the baby with the woman that's not his wife. Can an adulterer be a righteous person? We know Abraham, in verse 24, he's referring to Lot, and when he calls this, in verse 24, the righteous within the city. And so it's interesting, in 2 Peter 2.8, it talks about Lot, and it says about him, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. All right, so two times in that verse, in 2 Peter 2.8, Lot is referred to as righteous. He's called a righteous man with a righteous soul. That's in 2 Peter 2.8. But we're on the brink of the next chapter, so we'll cheat. 
and go forward one page. And take a look at this righteous man with the righteous soul in Genesis 19, 7 and 8. Now, it says, Lot is speaking, and Lot says and said, I pray you, brethren, brethren, calls these people brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your sight. So this is the righteous man with the righteous soul who is offering his two virgin daughters to be gang raped. So this is a very, very disturbing sight here of the man that the Bible calls righteous. So, you know, once a woman came to Spurgeon and said, you know, when God said in Romans 9, 13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then she said, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't understand how God could say Esau have I hated. And Spurgeon replied to the lady and said, ma'am, I don't have a problem understanding how God could say Esau have I hated. My problem is understanding how he could say Jacob have I loved. (laughs) Now, how could a man like Abraham, who lied and committed adultery, be called a righteous man? How could a man, Lot, who's offering up his virgin daughters to be gang-raped, be called a righteous man? Who is Abraham talking about when he's referring to this group called the righteous? Liars, adulterers, fathers who offer their daughters up to be terribly assaulted? Who are these righteous that he's speaking about? And what makes a person righteous? Now, this question brings out the power of the offer that God made in Isaiah 118 when he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They'll be as wool. Who was that offer made to in Isaiah 118? That offer was made to the Jewish people who just 14 verses before that are described in Isaiah 1-4 as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, forsaken the Lord, provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, gone away backward. That's the Jewish nation that's described by God as a sinful nation. That's the Jewish people that are described by God as a people weighed down with iniquity. That's the Jewish people with the heritage described as a seed of evildoers. That's the children of Israel described by God as children that are corruptors. That's the Jewish people that God stretches out his arms to. In Isaiah 118, it said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. That's the same Jewish people that the Lord Jesus Christ stretched out his arms to and said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So when any Jewish person does not come to the Lord Jesus Christ and God looks at them like Balaam, when any Jewish person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, then God sees a different picture. So how could Abraham, how could Lot, how could believers be called righteous? You know, it says in Isaiah 53, 11, that because of the travail of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ, God says that that's my righteous servant justifying many. So God says it's the work of justification. And he says in the next chapter over in Isaiah 54, 17, that when this happens, no weapon formed against them will prosper. And then he says, their righteousness is from me, 
saith the Lord. He says, you want to talk about their righteousness? God says, you got to talk to me about that. And then in Jeremiah 23, 6, it speaks about them being called, the Lord is our righteousness. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, it speaks about, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us, among other things, righteousness. And in James 2, 23, it says, the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed, interesting word, imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, Abraham has already, as we just heard from James 2.23, has been called righteous. And the first time Abraham was called righteous was a few chapters before in Genesis 15.6. You might want to turn to that, Genesis 15.6. So turn backwards now. Because Abraham is now referred to this group that he's praying for as the righteous. And this verse is described Abraham as righteous. And it says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. He counted it to him for righteousness. That's a very interesting Hebrew word, counted. It's the word chashav, counted. It's an interesting word because it describes what God did to Abraham. It describes what happened to Abraham when he was counted righteous when he believed God. The word chashav brings out how God can look at a person like Abraham, look at a person like Lot, look at believers, Jews and Gentiles, and call them righteous. Because of all the places in Scripture where we really get the understanding of what this Hebrew word chashav means is in the production of the tabernacle because it's used 15 times to describe some aspects in the production of the tabernacle. And even though it's translated with several different English words, the word chashav is appearing over and over again 15 times to describe the work of two men, Bezalel and Aholiab. So these two men and the work that they're doing is described as the work of chashav. And when they, in particular... When those two men worked as embroiderers, making the curtains and the ephod that the priests wore, that says it like this in many places, but here's one example in Exodus 35, 35. Them hath he filled with the wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workmen. That's a chashav. And of the embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet, and in fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work, chashav, again. So chashav describes the work of Bezalel and Aholiab as they work as embroiderers and weavers. And we see, and picture in our mind, we see Bezalel and Aholiab, they got a pile of blue threads, and they got a pile of purple threads, and they got a pile of scarlet threads, and they're taking these threads and they're embroidering over fabric, you know, to make the cherubims and the curtains. And so we see that when they're embroidering you with these colored uh, threads, they're covering the fabric. And so with those colored threads, they have become so stitched into the fabric that when they're finished with their intricate work of embroidering, you can't separate the fabric from the colored threads that have been embroidered into the fabric. Those colored threads and the fabric are now one. And that's the work of chashav. It means to embroider, or describes the work of the embroiderer. 
And then we see Bezalel and Aholiab reaching again into those piles of the blue threads and the purple threads and the scarlet threads, and they're taking those threads and they're intricately weaving them in order to, in order to weave them into the fabric. So they're weaving in and out. And so those colored threads have become now a part of the fabric. And when they're finished with their intricate weaving, you can't separate the colored threads from what they've woven into the fabric because they're all now one. That's the work, uh, Hashab. That describes the work of Bezalel and Aholiab as they embroider, as they weave colored threads into the fabric to make them all one with the fabric. It's the work of Hashab. And it amazes us to see this word in Genesis 15.6. Now look at Genesis 15.6 because it says here, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him, Hashab, for righteousness. So in this verse describes two actions, an action of Abraham and an action of God. The action of Abraham is believed. The word used there is the most widely known Hebrew word in all the world. It's the word amen, amen. So Abraham amened to God. In other words, he said, I believe God, I trust God. And that's what Abraham did. And that's what we do as believers. We come to God, we trust in God's sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ to pay all the price for our sins. And we believe God when he said that he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We say amen, that means we believe. And when Abraham believed God, he said amen. Now, that's our action. That was Abraham's action, believe God. Then we see God's action in the rest of verse. He counted it, hashav, to him for righteousness. So God hashaved it, to Abraham for righteousness. And so by using this word hashav for counted, we see the picture in our mind of Bezalel and Aholiab, and we see God like Bezalel and Aholiab. We see God, the great embroiderer, and we see ourselves as the fabric, and God is weaving these colored threads into us, the threads of blue that speak of the heavenliness of origin of the Lord Jesus Christ, the purple that speaks of him as the king, the scarlet, which speaks of his sacrifice, and God's the great weaver, and we see ourselves as the fabric, and we're going to have all these colored threads woven into us, and we, like Abraham, are the fabric. God is the great embroiderer weaver, and so when we look at Genesis 15, 6, now look again, we look at that like this, Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed God, and God embroidered, chashav, unto Abraham righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and God wove Hashav into Abraham righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and God the great weaver reached for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and wove that righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into the fabric of Abraham, the fabric of our lives, so that you cannot separate now the righteousness of Christ from the fabric, from Abraham. That's the meaning of the word made in the New Testament, where it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who from God is made unto us righteousness. He chashab, wove, made us unto us righteousness. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, chashab, the righteousness of God in him. Now, when it says that Christ has made unto us righteousness, when it says that we're made the righteousness of God, that's the picture. God the embroiderer, God the weaver, doing his work, weaving into our lives. Like Johnny, I told you about Johnny, the Yugoslavian tailor 
who made pants for me. You know, I have to, sometimes I have to get special clothes made because I don't bulge out in the same place as everybody else does. Anyway, so Johnny, he works on the sewing machine and he concentrates. And when Johnny the Yugoslavian is concentrating, you know, you can't talk to him. He crouches down in his chair and he bends over his work, his head's down, and he's guiding and watching every needle that goes into the fabric. And he, he works, you know, the world around him ceases to exist. He's tuned out because he's totally immersed in his work. And when he's finished, he can't leave his tailor shop. He makes you put the pants on. And then when he's finished, I told you, Johnny gets so happy, he cries out, I work magic. <laughs> That's what he says. You know? <laughs> That's what he does. And when God is finished as the great weaver, what does he do? He looks, he sees his work. Like Johnny, I don't think he sees me, he sees his pants. But anyway, he sees his work and he says, you know, God says, yes, I call them like Abraham did, the righteous. And when God doesn't see the sins of Abraham, he doesn't see the sins of Lot, he doesn't see the sins of believers, he only sees the beautiful threads that he's woven of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into the believers. And that's how Abraham and God could refer to a group of believers and say, the righteous. And that's who the righteous are in Genesis 18, 23. They're the ones who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ like fabric and let him, let God weave as the great God, the great embroiderer, weaver, and God does that. And who does he do it for? The ones who come to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a lost sinner. They present themselves, and just like Abraham believed God, and God wove the chashav into the sinner, the righteousness of God. When God weaves the chashav, the righteousness of Christ, into a sinner who comes to him for mercy, no one can separate that sinner from the righteousness of Christ. God has woven it in. And the saved sinner looks at himself, and when he looks at himself, he says the words of Jeremiah 33, 16. The Lord, our righteousness. He looks at himself. The Lord, my righteousness. And God looks at the saved sinner, and when he sees the sinner, the saved sinner, he says the words of Isaiah 54, 17. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And saved sinners look at each other, and they say the words of Jeremiah 51, 10. The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness, Come and let us declare in Zion the works of the Lord our God. So they, they say, let's go and tell others how they can have the righteousness of God woven in. That's the work. And that explains to us what Abraham meant by this new group that he calls the righteous. And because Genesis 15, 6 comes before Genesis 18, 23, it means Abraham already had this experience of God chashaving or weaving or embroidering his righteousness into Abraham. And so he knew, when Abraham knew, when he's saying these words in Genesis 18, 23, Abraham knows what he's talking about when he calls these people the righteous because he's talking about believers who have been made righteous by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, God weaving in. Now, from Genesis 15, 6, we will always associate righteousness of man with chashav, or the woven righteousness of God. By using Genesis 15, 6, we will always associate righteous for man with the chashav work of righteousness of Christ. When we see the term righteous referring to man, we'll think chashav righteousness. And say with Paul, when it comes to righteous for, for man, there's only one righteousness, it's the chashav righteousness And so that's what Paul meant when he said in Philippians 3, 9, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, 
The righteousness which is of God or from God by faith. So chashav righteousness or the righteousness of Christ that God has woven into the sinner is what he's talking about. Now, in verse 25, Abraham says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous shall be as the wicked. That's unthinkable. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, notice here again how Abraham refers twice in this verse to the group called the righteous. And so now Abraham has moved on to his next argument, and which is going to be entitled, What's Far From God? So this is far from God. What's far from God? That he should destroy the righteous. That he should slay the righteous because they're among the wicked. Why would it be far from God to do that? Because the righteousness is the chashav righteousness. It's the work of God. You know, Paul when he spoke about the terrible thing of offending a believer just for eating meat, he said in Romans 14, 20, for meat destroy not the work of God. He calls believers the work of God, the chashab work of God. Paul called believers also in Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Believers are the workmanship of God, the chashav workmanship of God. Bezalel and Holiab take you into the tabernacle and said, I made those curtains. Johnny said, I work magic. (laughs) They would say, I made those curtains. I made that ephod. That was the work of Bezalel and Holiab. When God looks at believers, he does the same thing. He points down and says, I wove that. I embroidered that. That's my workmanship. And so Abraham is saying it's unthinkable that the work of God should be destroyed. That wouldn't be right, and that's the line that Abraham's arguing on now. It's just not right. It's the same thing that Moses did. Moses picked up on the same argument when he was arguing to God at why he shouldn't destroy the Jewish people in the desert after the golden calf incident. And so he said in Exodus 32, 11, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? So he doesn't look at him and says, boy, just think of how good they've been. You know, they've had, I know they had some bad times, but you know, it wasn't really nice when they were honoring you. He didn't do that. He said, Lord, just look at them like your work. You, remember, you brought them out with a mighty hand. You've invested in them. That's your work. Don't destroy them. And when we pray for believers who are going astray, that should be our argument. Being, uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll finish it. He started, he'll finish it. And when we pray for the lost, we need to argue before the Lord that Genesis 5.1, the book of the generation of Adam, in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Lord, that's your creation. That's your work. As sinful as they've made it and as ruined, defiled as they it's still your work. So how about let's pray for recovery. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for the heart of Abraham and for opening his heart to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your heart and for opening your heart to us in this passage. Help us, Lord, to understand and to seek that the lost might have that same righteousness of God that you work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.